At Farmers Insurance, we know that a bundle of joy can sound like many different things. But to us, a bundle of joy sounds a little more like this. Because we know when you bundle your home and auto insurance with Farmers, you could save an average of 20%. Really? My bundle of joy just makes a lot of drool. Ah, the joys of parenthood. Visit Farmers.com or call 1-800-FARMERS to get a quote today. We are Farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Reported 2018 nationwide average savings underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. Hi, and uh, welcome back to Glee on the Rocks, our new Glee podcast. This is our first real episode where we actually talk about one of the episodes. So we are starting out, as always, with the pilots. Episode one, season one, the original air date of this episode was May 9th. 2009. And if that doesn't make you feel old, I don't know what will. It was written by Ryan Murphy, Brad Falchuk, and Ian Brennan, uh, directed by Ryan Murphy. And its viewership in the US was 9.62 million viewers. We've decided that we're going to read the summary for these episodes just to make sure that everyone is on the same page. I didn't write this. I stole this from the Glee Wiki, which still exists. So the summary for the pilot is optimistic high school teacher Will Schuster tries to refuel his own passion for the performing arts while reinventing McKinley High School's Glee Club and challenging a group of outcasts to realize their star potential. Going out McKinley's cruel high school caste system and facing harsh criticism from everyone around him, Will is determined to prove them all wrong. So as you can see, even from the episode summary, the pilot and in fact, the first season of Glee is mostly about Will fucking Schuster. And there's nothing we can do about that. So this is where we begin. And this is maybe where we should have all changed the channel and rerouted our lives into something else. But we didn't. And here we are in 2017, still talking about it. And you're still listening to it. So we can't just be blamed on our own. A lot of you fuckers listen to listen to the beginning of this podcast. So at least we know we're not talking into the ether. Y'all bitches joined us for this. This isn't just us talking to ourselves. We do enough of that. You guys are also invested. We can only all share the blame. Uh, (laughs) Before we get too far into anything, there is a giant elephant in the pilot that we need to discuss. And that is Noah Puckerman, known as Mark Salling. And if you don't know what's going on there, we suggest that you do some Googling because we're not prepared to discuss it in depth here. And we don't think it's appropriate to. Uh, I guess this is how we're going to deal with it going forward. Puck is in the pilot and he's in the entire show. As much as possible, we are going to separate the character from the actor because they are separate and only one of them we are in the business capable of talking about. So we will discuss Puck when needed and when necessary, but I think we're probably going to keep it to a minimum anyway, just to keep the ick factor down as we go forward. We're not going to equate the actions of the character with the actor and vice versa, because this podcast is also about fandom. If something comes up, we'll talk about it in a way that we deem appropriate and responsible. And if we do talk about anything 
tangentially related, we will try to give a warning if we think that is also necessary, given the severity and the gravity of Mark Stallings' actions. But we're going to keep it to a minimum and hope we can do right by that. Now that that is out of the way, we all are feeling gross about it. We're going to try and bring this back up and move on to the show. We're going to bring this back up by opening it with how they opened the show. So really, that's just a great segue from from <laughs> what we were previously talking about. I worked uh, <laughs> Unfortunately, rewatching the pilot kind of reminded me a lot of about a lot of the the stereotypes that Glee started with. And and obviously, yes, we all know, hey, Kurt was the gay one and Santana was the bitch and Rachel was the diva. And yeah, that's they had a, a stereotype, but there were a lot of negative stereotypes that started this whole whole entire show out. And maybe that should have been an indicator of a lot of things to us. But apparently we just didn't heed the warnings. <laughs> Mandy was the one that uh, pointed out to me. Feel free to jump in if you have uh, anything to add on the, the point that it started with child molestation charges, which, again, I forgot. I think I, maybe we all collectively as a fandom decided, hey, that didn't happen. It was not something that I immediately remembered. Of course, when I was watching it, I was like, oh, yeah, this happened. But I mean, they had they started they opened with that. They had predatory gays, uh, you know, the the, the old Glee teacher, you know, preying hey, on Ryerson, preying on on younger students. And then you had Shu, which had his his own, you know, set of issues with with framing students and ha- and being a completely horrible example of an adult, let alone a teacher. I mean, it's just kind of all around the entire episode. There was just a lot of a lot of stereotypes as if to say, hey, these are this is who these people are. And they're kind of crappy people, which I don't know if that's what they were going for. Like they were like specifically saying, hey, we want all of these people to be super negative and bad and you you love to hate them. But that's sort of like how they they started it. And um, with with especially with certain scenarios. So I I'd love to hear like as far as like, do you think they were on purpose going out of their way to say, let's make these people all people you love to hate in a different way? Or is that just um, looking back on it with like a certain perspective? I mean, it does seem like a really bold move to make Mr. Schuster, who's supposed to be our POV main character for these opening episodes. He, He starts out framing a student with weed in a locker. And that's like his, it's like his first gut thing that he's going to do. Like he doesn't start out, he doesn't, he escalates right to, I'm going to put drugs in a kid's locker, not let me think of the other ways I might entice a student to come to my glee club. It's boom, drugs, locker. Let's just guilt the shit out of this kid right off the bat. You couldn't, you couldn't have like ordered a bunch of pizzas. Finn would have showed up with pizza. I mean, come on. Like, well, I, I do think you were supposed to like him. And I think that the things that happened in the episode are supposed to be framed so that you feel bad for him, but he's just really awful. There's something so smarmy about it from the very beginning. And you know, that's, Maybe because it's Maddie Fresh and there's nothing you can do about that. But yeah, he, he for me comes off just so desperate and so creepy. And there's a sense that he will do anything, but you don't see him leading up to those choices. You just see the apex of what he's willing to do for a club he just started, you know, didn't start, but he just got involved with. Yeah, 
I mean, from his perspective in the show, like he is, he believes his wife is pregnant and the situation you're supposed to feel bad for is that he doesn't want to have to take a job that will provide benefits and stability for his family. Like, you're supposed to feel bad because this man is having to do, like, adult responsibilities over right. a club that he decided he wanted to to bring back. Yeah. Isn't that the definition of being an adult when you realize that you you actually don't agree with most of the characters on Rent? And you're like, what the shit are you guys doing? You need to fucking pay your bills. And that's kind of how I feel about shoes. Like, you're not a fucking adult. And like, yeah. I don't feel bad for you. I know skips ahead an episode, but like he's more willing to take a job as a part-time nighttime janitor than taking an accounting job where he could have a 401k and paid vacation. I don't understand it. And paid fucking vacation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe even like a pension. Who knows? Things are wild. Raise your hand in the audience if you would like to have paid vacation. And a pension. Everybody? 401k? Everybody? I can tell you. I'm not sure if those exist. Like those are made up, right? I mean... Those are lies that the liberal media tells you. He could have sick days, but he would rather stay late away from his apparently pregnant wife. Which, by the way, at this point, we don't know that it's all, you know, there's other shit going on. Yeah, we're to assume that everything she says is true, even if she's a bit nutso. We're at least to assume that she is telling the truth about this. And she does have a really good scene where she's talking about not wanting to be stuck in the high school mindset. And as I watch that, trying not to think of like her storyline to come, I'm like, yes, I agree with this person. Please make him not act like a high schooler and also not spy on teenage boys in the shower. I mean, that just, I want to know in the writing room, what made them go, hey, let's have him overhear this, what, like 15, 16 year old boy in the singing in the shower. Yeah, that's not creepy at all. No, no, that's totally that's totally normal. Let's go with that. That's a great idea, Ryan. Good job, Brian. The same people who thought it was a really good comedic turn to have the first openly gay character feel up teenage boys and then sell drugs. Yeah. In the first five minutes. Yeah. the, the, The same same brain came up with both of those concepts and thought, oh, yes, this will endear people to these characters. Just a reminder that just because you're gay does not mean you make media that is, you know, positive representation. I mean, you can't expect anything from Ryan Murphy, but especially at this point in, in Murphy's career, he didn't have the standing yet to pull some of this shit off. And yet he just goes for it and decides, yes, teenage boy in the shower singing totally kosher that's fine yeah i mean i i do think they were trying with a dark you know the dark comedy kind of vibe and i think they definitely hit it with certain notes but just so many of the negative you know negative stereotypes i and maybe it's because i'm a, a bleeding heart you know liberal kind of person and to be fair i think all three of us on this oh, podcast yeah. are i'm just like you know we're there's dark comedy <laughs> there's dark comedy and then there's like that's a that's just a a, a shitty stereotype or a shitty representation of a type of person you're not saying ryerson as a person is bad you're kind of painting the gate like a negative brush to like gays in general so i i had issues with how they they did their you know a lot of their stereotyping and it's not just in this episode they definitely have those issues later but i will hold off on those feelings for the later episodes especially because sandy ryerson isn't slap down for it he's not arrested he's not his actions aren't there are no consequences he actually comes off kind of for the better because he says how much money he's making selling drugs 
and you do see him in later in later you know seasons and he's supposed to be like a funny yeah kind of i mean a little buffoony but yeah you're not you're not supposed to go oh my god that guy's creepy as hell why is he here more just like that guy's weird it's frustrating because they did prove in the same episode that they can do a kind of dark comedy character really well with sue sylvester right like she is over the top in a way that's not quite like blended up with so many negative stereotypes she likes her enemas piping hot and that's okay that's right yeah sue really starts out in i well for me I don't want to speak for our audience, but for me, Sue starts out is such a great comedic villain. And you know she's a villain and there's no question about her loyalties. There's no weird episode to episode loyalty shift. It's not like in one episode she's helping the Glee Club and then the next episode she's throwing a slushie in someone's face. She is the villain and she has her Cheerios and she has her goals and she's not quite all there, but... She has her set of rules, her own internal morality, and she follows it. And she has some great one-liners that aren't cruel the way they come off as cruel later in the series. And it's also like, because she's the villain, you know, at some point she will get some kind of like comeuppance in a way that the characters legitimately doing very bad things don't get. Yes, she gets her, you know, funding, or I actually forgot at this point what happens to her first. Yeah, to be honest, me too. <laughs> Gotta rewatch those episodes, which is what we're doing. Um, but yeah, I mean, she is set up as a villain, and with that comes the standard villain arc. And it's fine, it works for her until the show can't decide what she is anymore, and it just flip-flops given on the needs of any one particular episode. Yeah, they basically forgot she had a purpose in the beginning or just weren't creative enough to keep coming up with ways to have her fill that role. Yeah. I do like how unapologetic she is. Like just like straight up, no, no apologies necessary at all for being this, like I said, a dark comedic character being the, the villain. And she's okay with that. She knows that's what she is. And she's not only does she not care. I think, I think she likes that. And I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the the kind of a, a villainous character that is like, yeah, nope, this is me. I, I'm not good. Or just like, I'm out for, for what I want, whether that's mm-hmm. not necessarily her, but like her Cheerios. And fuck the club because I don't fucking care. And I, I find that unapologetic part of her, her characterization really, really a lot of fun because it allows her to just do things and have, just be like, okay. I'm going to do this now. Whatever. I'll go. I'll go along with you. And she's still doing it for something. She's doing it for her Cheerios. She's not just doing it to watch the world burn. She's she's doing it to keep her girls on top of the social ladder and to keep her awards and accolades as the top of the school. And it maintains her position of power and authority. So it's not just a Joker style. No cares at all. It has a a purpose to her. She's not where... setting fire to the Glee Club as if it was a hospital while laughing in a nurse outfit for no fucking reason. I mean, that's probably, that would have been a later episode if it had made it to season seven. Fair enough, that might be an outtake. That would have been the Halloween episodes, season seven. <laughs> and they just didn't get there. Sue goes full, full Joker. Full and... Joker. Yeah. yeah. Maybe really? Sue was the one that burned down Dalton. Spoilers. Hey, I mean, that's fine. I can see it. <laughs> 
It's either that or like Sandy Ryerson comes back with a vengeance because it's a school full of like teenage boys. I mean, <laughs> and Ryan Murphy would come up with some weird logic to why Sandy would go after Dalton. So maybe we should just be glad that that never happened. Because I feel like plot lines we're glad we never got to. That's, <laughs> that's a whole that could episode. be an entire episode. Yeah. yeah. Things that we could have entire seasons. All the things we could have had. Um, But I guess, you know, Sue's characterization or the discussion of Sue's characterization kind of fits in with a point that I had about this episode and really the first season is Rachel Berry. And I don't think it's any secret to anyone that I fucking hate Rachel Berry as a character. But maybe what we don't know is that I liked Rachel Berry in the beginning. Dun, dun, dun. Um, no. Spoilers. Plot twist. Fucking plot twists of the century. And I liked her because she, again, like Sue, she had goals and she had things that she wanted deep down and she wasn't going to let external factors get in her way. And she wasn't going to play nice just to play nice to be someone people liked. She was going to reach her goals and live her dreams and get the fuck out of Ohio and be somebody. And she didn't care who she was going to step on to get there. And even if that's not a person that you want to hang out with in real life, that's an interesting character because you don't often get to have female characters who are unapologetic about their desires, whether it's romantic, sexual, or career. And she had a clear career desire, at least in the beginning. That all falls to shit somewhat quickly. And her characterization disintegrates, I think, quite rapidly. But in the beginning, she has talent and she believes in her talents. And she's in this school where she only has so many outlets to express herself. And she goes for it. And she pushes other people to not bring her down with their neuroses. And I found that kind of admirable, even if in person, I would just ignore her completely and wish that I didn't go to the same school. And I just, I hated how so much of that fell away as soon as they started to try to make Rachel Berry a friend, because she's not a friend. She's She has no good friendships. And I know people can argue to the death about like Quinn and Kurt. Rachel and Kurt's no. relationship is one of the worst things on the show. It's one of the most destructive Accurate. things on the show. And Hummelberry can suck a dick because I can't stand it. No logical sense. They're... <laughs> opposites it doesn't work they don't care for each other they don't really like each other and there's really there's so little in the show that points to an actual friendship based on mutual anything it's all based on what can you do for me and what can i get from you one-upmanship one it's one-upmanship and then kind of like found together i do think this is obviously getting into to later and into fandom but i i do think some characterization of their friendship as they push they don't they they drive each other crazy but they push each other to do better i can see that characterization because yes that's basically resting on the point that rachel always has to be the best and kurt wants to be the best as well so they they do make each other be better but i don't necessarily know if i would say that like best friendship i will say i do i do appreciate that we do have like you said have a female character that very driven but i just i can't i've never really been a rachel fan and i really i just i went back and i saw this and i'm like yep no she 
she's she's infuriating. I get that she is supposed to be infuriating. Yeah. I get that's her characterization. But holy crap, I cannot stand. I can't stand to to watch your your episodes and the things that come out of your mouth. I like I, I like threw my pen at the TV. <laughs> it's expensive, Leah Michelle. I will is be it, billing you later. Is it because her perception of her talent doesn't match her actual actual talent, and maybe that bleeds over into the actors? I'm sorry, what? <laughs> well, I mean, there's that. There's there's also there's everybody around her saying you're amazing and uh, Leah Michelle is a is a good singer I think she's a good Broadway singer I can't really speak to anything other than that but she does have a good voice but I I also would like to say there the entire show for the most part has people with amazing voices yeah Jenna has an amazing voice not that you really ever got to hear it uh, I know <laughs> so what frustrated me was her yes she had an what I felt was an overinflated sense of self-worth again I I know I should go yes you shouldn't make fun of a you know a female character for that but that drove me nuts every like shoe go feeding into that drove me nuts Rachel going I need somebody that can keep up with me physically so we can't have the handicapped kid be the uh be like my male lead I'm like are you fucking kidding me and that that's actually when I threw my pen actually another throwback to negative stereotyping there which the pilot just had no issue with Rachel was just like no I can't work with the handicapped kid and everyone was just like shrug better get a football player right sounds legit (laughs) let's get a tall cis able-bodied man that'll be fine that's no problem despite the fact that Artie and Kevin McHale are both amazing singers and fucking flawless so you would be lucky to be singing with him but I deviate Kevin Um, McHale is like the underappreciated MVP yeah there's not gonna be a lot that we all agree on on this podcast (laughs) worshipping Kevin McHale is the one unifying factor across the board we are low-key starting the Kevin McHale appreciation (laughs) fan club here on this podcast as well just FYI Uh, we'll be sending out t-shirts in the mail once you guys all send us money <laughs> we meet on tuesdays we're gonna be at the back room of a bar where you're you also welcome yep. he can he can lead it yeah. we'll all sit around and praise it'll be great i i get that good characters don't have to be positive characters right. i i do love sh- oh. i do love sue enunciate there and i know she isn't a good character but i just i can't i can't get into rachel maybe if she was always an unapologetic diva no i take that back i even if she was an unapologetic diva i feel like that'd be more true to her characterization but i still wouldn't like her so apologies to rachel fans i i mean go for it by all means live your dream stand who you want i just i cannot stand her character i definitely this is bend her actions but but in the first couple episodes i got her it's later on when you spend like three years of people telling rachel berry how amazing she is and she's like i just i just don't believe in myself like please leave please walk out of this room you've been told your entire life that you're special and wonderful i can't take you anymore so i only i only have a few episodes where i'm like yeah cool rachel i feel like it's the potential of rachel berry that i was more into because it it's so fleeting so brief and then it just dissolves it's like, it's like a bright star that's shown in the night sky never to be seen again burning up yeah this is jumping ahead to, to future episodes again but i do i kind of have the reverse experience with kurt because i can't stand kurt in season one and it's oh, yeah. for a lot of the reasons that you're both saying you can't stand rachel i see the same qualities in kurt i agree that it makes them a very destructive friendship and not even really friends yeah. especially not in the first season frenemies they're they are frenemies i mean there's not enough of kurt in the pilot to really comment on but in coming episodes oh i can't stand him he's terrible I, in the first season it, he's like his crush on finn and his other i'm gonna be straight so much of the stuff i just it's infuriating and maybe it's kudos to chris culper for his acting but there are times 
times when if Kurt had disappeared from Lima, I would have been like, eh, that's fine. That's cool. Uh, yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, the character gets better and Chris's acting kind of takes a turn with it that I appreciate once he starts getting like sympathetic and growing up a little. And I, I can kind of accept it now because watching it back, it does feel like I'm watching a very immature character who I know is going to grow up. Mm-hmm. And I like that. Rachel doesn't. No, Rachel's doesn't like flat line. You, you accept, you accept, uh, you accept Kurt's brattiness because you know he has growth and you, you're like, okay, you're a brat, but you change. Yes. Whereas Rachel is like, you're a brat at the end. Yeah. No, <laughs> that's, that's exactly it. Yeah. You're a brat and sometimes you just get worse. And maybe, maybe this is looking back with rose colored glasses or I, I don't, I don't know what colored glasses to be quite honest. Rainbow colored maybe since about Kurt. I don't know. That's more stereotyping. I'm sorry. There you. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I can, I can agree that Kurt has, has a lot of similar qualities and he definitely did stuff that me, that we can, we can discuss later with in more depth that gave me a lot of secondhand embarrassment, which spoiler, I, that's like my, my nemesis. Secondhand embarrassment kills me, oh. but I don't hate Kurt. I find his bitchy lines hilarious and I kind of love them. So go figure the thing I hate Rachel for, like I, I kind of enjoy in, in Kurt is that because she's a woman and he's a man and we're prone to being more sympathetic to a male character. Maybe yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to say that it's not it very well could be. It could also be me just going, yeah, I, I like you because of where you go. And I know that. I think perspective helps. I think, you know, we are able to look back and have the history of the, the six seasons to say where Kurt ends up. And that's not to say that Kurt's trajectory is flawless because it's not. There are times when in later seasons that I just, it's like regressing to first season where I just want to smack him around a little bit and I don't want to watch any of the seasons. Where then you there wish are someone times, had shipped him off to Russia? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> off you go. Or, you know, here's go to New York by yourself and the rest of us are going to stay in Lima. But then there are times when his character has some of the most heartfelt moments that other characters don't really get to have. And maybe that has to do with Ryan Murphy's relationship with Chris Colfer and the stories that Murphy wanted to tell through Chris and Kurt that came from a more personal place and and found their way on screen without too much of the bullshit that gets in the way of some of the other storylines. But we don't, at least for me, you don't get that with Rachel. You, you don't get to look back and see growth. You look back and see like, oh God, right, that was worse. I feel like, I feel like with Kurt, we, as we go through the seasons, we get glimpses into his life. We like, we, we met Bert. We don't really really get to hang out with Rachel's yeah. dad. So for being the female lead, and I think we can we unarguably say that, yeah, she and Finn were were definitely the the leads for this, this show for most of the run. She definitely for most of the run. We don't actually get a whole lot of behind what's behind Rachel or like what's fully in Rachel. We don't get to see what happens with like with her family or what's, what's going on in her life outside of the turmoil of her desires for being a dog. Why? It's like, it's hard to to get those deep moments when literally we don't have them. Now, I don't know that we really get a whole lot of look into any of the other parents other than Carol and that because of Bert, we don't really get a whole lot with all the other parents. So that could, you know, be a be another point to Ryan Murphy had particular stories he wanted to tell with Kurt. And that's why we get more, get to see more of him because goodness knows Blaine's a test baby. No parents there. Did you say Blaine? I heard Blaine. Are we there yet? Can we jump ahead? 
No, we're going to hold that. Does the blame check in? Oh, we, we have to earn the blame. <laughs> yeah, right. right. I, I retract. I retract my blame. Although if we are going to mention blame, we should quickly do the blame check in to say that if these characters are sophomores somewhere out in the world, Blaine is already a goddamn junior. Felt like we needed to make that clear to everybody. Blaine is already a junior. Keep, keep repeating it to yourself and maybe it'll stay true. <laughs> it is true. It is true. Just like wow. Sirius Black doesn't die, this is true. And Glee is a good show. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> There's a line. But you know, just to like circle back super quickly because I was thinking about it and it's like an unformed thought. But at least some of the other characters, even if they, if you don't get the background of the parents, you do at least have like a kernel of backstory that feeds an emotional life. And even if it's, if it's a stereotype, like Artie and his wheelchair, it's at least a personal nugget of information that you can extrapolate action from, you know, if there were good writers on the show, but they're not. But you can at least take his disability and extrapolate his actions to a certain extent. And you can take Tina's shyness as a an emotional core and extrapolate her behavior. With Rachel, you just kind of have the one thing of ambition and the writers just can't quite pull from that enough to make her sympathetic. So she can be mean or driven and all these kind of things that we think of as negative, but you can still be sympathetic if you had something else to hold on to. And I feel like with Rachel, we just don't have that that extra emotion, emotional core to to cling to in her in her darkest hour. I feel that comes out with thing like your point to stereotypes. You can't make characters out of caricatures. Right. I do have a question because as, as we were discussing this, um, I realized I never saw the pilot without having seen, like I, I went back and watched the pilot. I think if you go back and listen to our first episode, episode zero, you got me into Glee. And I, my first episode was a prom episode in season three. Hurt and Blaine. Sorry. Sorry. I retract my Blaine. Blaine. Oh, I'm sorry. I heard Blaine and I had to add a moment. <laughs> I, so I, for, I saw Kurt, I saw Rachel, I saw Finn, I saw all of them at the end of season three. And then I went back. And so I sort of like, I never watched the beginning without knowing where they were going. So if you guys watched the pilot without having preconceived opinions based on later episodes, I'd be curious to know, do you remember what thoughts were when you first watched it? Do you have the same thoughts that you did after watching it now, after having seen everything Everything that we did, everything that we've been through, everything that we have seen. Yeah, I actually I watched it from the very beginning because it it, it did air in a strange way. Uh, the pilot was aired on Fox in like May of 2009, and then the actual season didn't start for a few months after that. And they they heavily promoted it. I was pretty into watching it. I think everyone I knew watched the pilot when it came on, and I liked it. I liked it a lot. Everyone I knew was excited for the show to come back. Looking back, all I can see is how it devolved. Like the, I think the problematic things in the pilot might not have felt so problematic if that was a point they grew from in a positive way. Mm-hmm. If they had started out with Sandy Ryerson being such a horrible stereotype and then was like here's the stereotype, we're gonna break it, we're gonna make it into good things. I probably would look back on the pilot fondly, but I don't because things just get worse ultimately. The representation. Yeah. It just keeps going. The candy smell my joke is ruins bubble tape. It just unravels and unravels and just gets worse and worse yeah <laughs> are we t- are we old are we old is bubble tape a thing that even exists anymore we may be old <laughs> god yeah i didn't see it from 
the pilot. I caught it maybe mid season one. I honestly don't have a, a memory of, of that fateful day. I remember that I only started watching it because I my niece mentioned it at a family gathering or something and it was one of the things I could talk to her about. But I, I think I caught it. Yeah, I don't actually remember what my first episode was. So I had to go back and watch it. And at the time in the dark, dark ages of 2009, your options for re-watching episodes of a currently airing show were few and far between. I may have lime-wired an episode. Jesus um, fucking Christ. I mean, maybe not lime RIP to that computer. <laughs> I had to just we throw have. that one out and burn it. Speaking of the LimeWire thing, I actually saw it. One of the reasons I saw it is because I was part of a community called Fall Preview that w- what we did on LiveJournal was gather all of the pilots that were going to air and find like mega upload links so That's people amazing. could watch them and download them. Okay, oh, this that, is that really making me feel old. You're name dropping mega upload. <laughs> uh, yeah. Rip mega upload. Uh, mega okay. upload was amazing. They did can can we take a brief detour to explain mega upload <laughs> to the new newbies um, who may be listening well in in the netflix age it's like pointless everything is on there within a couple of months anyway right back in the day mega upload was the only way you could get large files in in a timely fashion and be reasonably assured that you weren't downloading a virus or porn unless those are the things you wanted unless that's <laughs> what you wanted no judgments unlike limewire where you were definitely imploding your computer from the inside if you downloaded anything at all you were gonna sure get a virus a- and porn <laughs> At the same time. Obviously, I'm pretty sure you had a one in six chance of actually getting what you were looking for on LimeWire. Well, Maybe. Yeah, because I had to download six files at the same time to like one of them might finish. I don't remember Fall Preview. I do remember like iHeartTV, another nice. wonderful live journal community that had just about any TV show you could ever want in mega upload links. It was amazing. It's amazing. This uh, this has been a, a run down the old lane with the three of us. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. Which also <laughs> might happen again frequently. Sorry, as you get old, you like to reminisce. I like to just reminisce because the future's bleak. We're not sure we're going to Christmas. We might as well look in the look back and enjoy. We had to watch these episodes without gifts appearing as the episode is airing. You just had to remember what happened. You couldn't immediately go to Tumblr and see 47 posts of the thing you just watched seconds ago. Uh, quick, like, quick, quick we manage it. Break. Was Tumblr a thing when Glee first aired? Yeah. Because Tumblr started earlier than people recollect. I had a, I've had a Tumblr, not this one. Well, yes, this one. I think it started in 2007. But in 2007, Tumblr looked more like there were just more photos or art. It wasn't really fandom oriented at the time. It was more like a visual blog. So I, I don't. Oh, what know. it was supposed to be. Right. <laughs> yes, what it was designed for before the porn invaded. When the porn nation attacked. When the porn nation attacked everything was destroyed and remember how gifts were so shitty early on and then the day came when you could do like a 500 megabyte gif and people had to go back and they redid all of their shit just because you could have a bigger file size oh i do remember that like there was a day where you could suddenly upload a bigger gif and everyone's like well now we have to redo all of the clean stuff because we have more files but i don't know if what kind of fandom activity there was on tumblr in 2009 because i, I was not using this 
Tumblr at that time. I just had like a a, a normal, a non-fandom, look at this pretty picture kind of a Tumblr. Uh, I would love to hear from anybody that be obviously listening. If you're not listening, you're not going to hear this. Just if you were if you were on Tumblr or any anywhere else and you were in Glee fandom from like the pilot, I'd be curious to know how what fandom was like or what yeah, happened. I, I do think it was live journal centric to begin with. Yeah. Mm. I think it really was. So yeah, uh, somebody somebody that was in live journal Glee fandom, let us know what what it was like at the beginning and with the with the pilot, or at least let me know because I'm 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 curious. You know, at the time I was more active on Live Journal because that's where like my friends were, but I I wasn't doing Glee on Live Journal. I was all about other TV shows and Harry Potter and Lost and X Files and all these sorts of things. So I just Lost. it was on my radar at the time. But I would be curious to do like a deep dive back back into the the archives unless it brings the Russians down on me. And in that case, I'm not going to do it. But, <laughs> be very careful. I do remember seeing a lot of. Does anybody else remember Fandom Secrets? Yes. Oh God. Yes. 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 Yeah, yeah, no, the, the, this podcast has now re- gone down uh, fandom nostalgia lane. That, that's what we're here for. I saw a lot of Glee fandom secrets before watching the show, and I knew it was Glee, but I had no idea who anybody was. And I remember getting really annoyed by seeing Chris Colfer's face constantly. <laughs> On Phantom Secrets, and I now feel really bad about that. I'm sorry, Chris. I apologize. I have to rectify that. I mean, I would say <laughs> the, that this is more. this this whole thing is basically been me doing penance for that. I'm sorry for for what I did in the past. I'm not sorry. I I regret nothing about anything ever. She says, Riley staring at <laughs> the you, camera. Because you have been perfect. <laughs> yeah, of course, I make no mistakes. I'm imagining the, that scene. Episode. I'm imagining that scene from Parks and Rec right now. Oh God, I know this about you, and I don't hate me. I've never oh. seen it. Don't hate me. Well, well now we know what we're doing after this podcast parks and rec well now that we've gotten entirely off track now now that i've pulled us totally into the wood <laughs> any final thought or takeaways um from pilot other than rachel's characterization started off kind of cool uh, the adults were all really weird particularly shoe i could go off on a to- total tangent rant about him just being a horrible character in general why they the even episode. had him i don't even know um and then the next just- episode mr shoe can really get a walloping because it's the next episode where you really see him make his choices and how that affects I'll you know, save my life. And then, and then obviously the weird negative representations that this all started no, with. I, um, I have a positive. That, anything else that just like really jumped out to you guys that made you go, wow, I don't remember that. Or I have one that's not, wow, I don't remember that, but it is a positive and maybe... Then we should you know, definitely celebrate it. <laughs> the positive is Principal Figgins. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> Who is a bit of an unsung hero, but even in the pilot, his deadpan, ultra serious about expense reports for the janitorial service, like, it's crazy. And there's something about Principal Figgins that is endearing and heartwarming. And I'm glad he's there, even if he's only there to serve as a plot foil for various characters along the way. And also, the pilot is the first appearance of that fucking brown couch in Principal Figgins' <laughs> office, and I think we all know where that ends up. We all know where that went. Yeah. There it is. Bright and shiny and new. Unsullied. I'm gonna I'm gonna refrain from continuing down that path. That's a different episode. That's a different podcast altogether. An, off, an offshoot that maybe we'll do for funsies uh, if anyone wants to hear it. But 
that that's a positive I have. I'm trying to think of other positives because I think we said this in episode zero, but we, we are going to be awfully critical of the show and that's totally fair. But maybe we can try to once in a while throw out a, hey, that was cool. Yeah, I don't know show. if this even counts exactly as a positive, but it is something I feel obligated to admit that despite watching the entire pilot going, oh, this is like, I can see how this is the foundation for badness. I still got emotional during Don't Stop Believing. Oh, I know. Me too. I did too. I don't know how you could not. <laughs> my what in my in my note, I have a I have a critical point about Finn, and I and I kind of briefly brought it up, and I will bring this back around to what you said, Mandy. I swear. Just that I don't understand how Rachel heard Finn and was like that. Totally complements my voice because Corey is perfect for Finn. I felt he, he very very perfect for that character, but I don't think his voice works on the same caliber as as Rachel's voice. But despite that, despite in me going, yeah, I don't like that part. His role in bringing about Don't Stop Believing, I will admit I still have, I'm getting goosebumps right now, like talking about it. So yeah, I I totally agree, Mandy, that as cynical as I sometimes am, and I'd like to think I'm the least cynical probably on this podcast, I totally was like, I'm not crying, you're crying entire time during that that song. There's definitely something so sweet and innocent and pure about the first Don't Stop Believing because it's so, so poorly choreographed and you know, the sound quality is... It's so perfectly bad. It's like literally is exactly what they are, which was, you know, we're kind of a shoddy, you know, don't have a lot of money, glee club, and we can't have fancy costumes and we have no idea how to do choreography or sing, but by gosh, we've got spunk. And And that's kind of what you see in that that song. And it's like, yeah. And it definitely felt like something that five or six high school sophomores could put together on their own. And and later... Looking at you, vocal adrenaline. Looking at you, vocal adrenaline. Because, you know, even later New Direction performances can seem overly produced and you're like, how the fuck did you do this? But this one, you're like, yeah, I, I can see those kids and I knew those kids who could do that in a day. And it, and it's it's sweet and it's nice. I think we all, maybe not all of us, some are more heartless even than me, but even there's just something so nostalgic about that song in the Glee fandom and just in general as being an amazing journey song. But yeah, I, I rewatched it and I was like, oh, it's fine. I'm fine. It doesn't affect me at all. I think it's in, important to point out so thank you for bringing bringing it up Mandy that um, this was also the only full song that was as in the whole episode like all the other songs were all like you only hear parts of it but yeah. this was like the actual chorus and, and verse and at least a verse and a chorus you got and, like a taste of what you were going to get in later episodes right and it was also one of the ones that went like not viral because not but like released and actually did really well on the charts themselves not just in the within the show yeah People actually wanted to hear it. I, I remember hearing it on the radio and not even, I, like, I can remember it on the radio and without having even watched the show and just being like, oh my God, this thing again? Now, of course, I'm like, I would like to hear that song again. I'm pretty sure that it was nominated for a Grammy and maybe I'm crazy, but I feel like it got a nomination. Am I nuts? Those have to be correlated. <laughs> they are both exist at the same time because like those Glee volumes hit the charts and with varying success. We kind of talked about this offline before about Teenage Dream, but I'm pretty sure that this song did incredibly well on the charts. Let's see. I'm going to do a quick search because I have to. Yeah, it sold well. Maybe the Grammy uh, thing I'm just making up in my my distant memories. I don't know, but in... In my searching, I did find that the Glee cast has the most hot 100 entries. I believe it. Though Drake is number two. <laughs> Great. Another song they would have covered had they continued into a seventh season. But that that is imagine, a... 
the Glee cover of Hotline Bling. That is an entire podcast I want to have of here are the songs I wanted Glee to cover. Yes. Well, there's the list of songs I want them to cover and there's the list of songs I know they would cover and I would be sad about. Some of the things you know they would cover would just be terrible. But yeah. Also, there's there's a good chance that even the songs you would have wanted them to do, they would have found a way to make terrible by giving it to the wrong person. Like, obviously, Artie would have to do Hotline Bling. Obviously. No one else should. Yes, that's a whole other podcast where we go through the iTunes top charts and decide who would sing what and why and then later build an episode around it I think is how we like to do things they pick some songs that they could get the rights to and then later constructed a plot line around it sounds legit I think that's really how the writer's room works dartboards and monkeys but that's also another conversation that we had how many monkeys for how long typing away in a room would you get would it take to get glee seasons 67 minutes done four monkeys one hour one whole season of glee and that's what you missed on yeah, I think we've gone through what we wanted to talk about for this episode and okay. and a whole lot more. Okay, well, I mean, I know there's not really, like I said, there wasn't a whole lot of songs, so we can't really say favorite song, but it may have like a particular favorite line. I do, and mine came very quickly, and I already told it to you guys, but I'm going to say it again because it's perfect. It's Rachel Berry, and her quote is, I can't keep wasting my time with Glee. It hurts too much. And I just feel like that encapsulates so much of how I feel about this show. I'm glad she said it. I'm yeah. so happy that your your line that encapsulates you was said by Rachel Berry. Yeah, because it's the only time it's going to happen. And with that, I think we've perfectly ended this first rundown of first episode of Glee, the pilot. We've done a nice detour into the woods and we've made it all the way back. I think we should make it clear that that's going to happen. Like these side these sidebars are going to just be half of the podcast. This is why we want you guys to drink along with us. Right. Then they make sense. The and maybe I the show will make sense too. Maybe eventually the show will make sense. <laughs> That's not a guarantee that any of us are willing to give, to be honest. Fair. All right. So with that, I think we closed the books on the first episode. Thanks for uh, listening with us, guys. You've held in this long. We appreciate it. Catch you next week where we talk about the second episode. How about that? One and two. Showmance. Oh. Great title for an episode, I suppose. Tune in to hear me yell more at you. Yes. Hear us and all yell more at you. As we had mentioned, to make up for this one coming late, we're going to post the next episode in a week instead of in two weeks as our mea culpa. So be sure to refresh your Pamela dashes frequently because I'm sure you guys only do it once a week. See you guys later. And that's what you missed on Glee. Glee. <laughs> At Farmers Insurance, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. Whether it's a rear end by a clown car, <laughs> or a grizzly taking a quick dip in a pool. We know home and auto insurance, and we know you could save an average of 20% when you bundle the two. Visit farmers.com or call 1 800 Farmers to get a quote today. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Reported 2018 nationwide average savings underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. At Farmers Insurance, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. And we know that it can get a little weird when things just don't work together. That's why Farmers lets you bundle your home and auto insurance together. And doesn't that sound nice? Bundle with Farmers today and you could save an average of 20% too. Talk about music to your ears. Visit Farmers.com or call 1-800-FARMERS to get a quote today. We are Farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Reported 2018 nationwide average savings underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state.